0: Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 155 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Robert Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday morning. It's February 26th, 2020, and I'm Bobby Chesney.
1: I'm Steve Loddick.
0: Steve, welcome back. Thank you. How was Disney?
1: Uh, Disneyland was was good. It was tiring. It was exhausting. I I rode the resistance. <laughs>
0: Did you rise with the resistance?
1: I, I rode the rise of the resistance.
0: That's very alliterative. but
1: that was the, that was the most difficult and challenging part because it broke down twice while we were in line. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> oh yeah. So there's even in one of the we took um, we took the girls to one of the many live live little shows and uh-huh. there's like a, there was a Rapunzel version where one of the jokes in the show was um, when the when the Rapunzel's mother sort of you know exit stage left. You know. I didn't even get to ride the rise of the resistance. (laughs) Uh, Mother Gossel. Mother Gossel. Uh, that's awesome. Well we'll
0: have we'll have a review in our Frivaldi section of the latest going on uh, at Disney. Of the Rise of the Resistance. Especially
1: that, yeah. And and my wait, I gotta find my thermal detonator diet coke bottle. Oh, do you have one? Did you bring one? Oh I can't wait to see that. Um, but we actually (laughs) have, you know, a ton of real national I mean, there actually is national security actually happening. Yeah, oh I've always wanted to say this. He's holding a thermal detonator. <laughs> <laughs> Quad Diet Coke bottle.
0: That's pretty great. Is that actually written in, in like that weird Star, yep. Trek, script? Star, Star Trek script? Star Star Trek Wars. Did I say Star Trek? Sorry. You did. Well, it's because we're also going to talk about Picard. We
1: are, and how it's going downhill fast.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I'm not sure that's what I'm going to Oh, shots talk about, fired. Shots we'll, we'll fired. See. We'll see. Okay. And we also need to review a show that we both saw last week. Come from
1: away. Speaking of not going downhill fast.
0: No, in fact, that was quite amazing. I think we'll agree on that. We may not agree on much else today, but we'll agree on that. Really? We're not going to agree? Okay, fine. I don't know. Uh, Maybe
1: we'll agree on FISA reform. Uh, We've got a FISA bill, and we've got some
0: FISA discussion
1: uh, to engage in. We We have a new acting DNI. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we do. Boy, we have, do we. we. We have the national security advisor lying on Sunday shows about why we needed a new acting DNI.
0: So we've got Trump Landia topics. Oh, here. Yeah. We can agree on that much. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about. Okay, so, if you're
1: not going to agree with me that O'Brien lied, we're going to have Trump I don't left. even know what you're referring All to, right. so I will hold hold my
0: judgment right. on whether I agree that he was lying. Okay. Um, and uh, we'll also have an update. I, I don't <clears throat> think this is a Trump Landia topic. It, we'll, we'll return to our unfortunately still with us theme and perhaps soon to be with us more theme of quarantine isolation and other policy aspects of
1: the covid 19 uh, outbreak um and i will try not to sneeze my way through this episode somewhere somewhere along the way between disneyland and the dc district court i picked up a nasty cold apparently i should have brought my mask but i guess they're in short supply anyway so i might as well uh, dive into it i will say haven't been on plenty of airplanes in the last five days mm-hmm. yes the the masks are out and I'm like everybody's got the mask like, people just wash your hands like Washing your hands multiple times a day is going to do so much more good than wearing a mask.
0: What about Purell? Where are you on Purell? Do you Purell all the time?
1: I don't Purell all the time, but if, if, if hand washing is not available, yeah. Purell is better yeah. than nothing.
0: Oh, good times at the airports. Can't wait till my next trip. Um, you've had a, Speaking of trips, you've had some uh, litigation activity that you've traveled yeah, yeah. for. Yesterday and... was quite a day. Yeah, we're going to talk about, we're going to check in on the Vladic docket, <laughs> uh, the Vlad docket. Can, is that a thing? Can we make that a thing? The Vlad docket?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or the or the, the oh Vladac, well the Vladac took a, took a beating yesterday. Uh, hey, hey,
1: as I it, from from where I sit, it got five votes against me and five votes for me. It's just that one of those votes was a district judge.
0: <laughs> the cumulative power. So it's a tie. It was, a, like tie. So, it was so a tie. If only if only that, yeah. that counted. Um, no, uh, we'll talk about Hernandez, the cross border shooting case, and we'll talk about Larrabee as well. And then we get to frivolity, and it, we will talk about Come From Away, Picard, and the rise of the resistance. The, resi- the rise of the resistance. Okay, let's jump in. Um, should we do FISA reform first? We should do FISA reform first. All right, so many listeners will know that today there is a markup going on in the House Judiciary Committee, I believe, uh, over a bill that you know, may or may not prove to have legs. And in the context, of course, is that on the Ides of March, March 15th, that's the latest extension deadline for the sunset of three provisions. Um, Well, three plus one that's related. Let's explain that. This is, in short, the roving wiretap provision from the USA Patriot Act. That is to say, the idea that the uh, authorization, the warrant to tap the phone can float with the person even as they're cycling through burner phones, for example. So roving in that sense. Also, the Lone Wolf provision in FISA, this is the Patriot Act provision that added to the list of predicates for getting a FISA uh, Title I order to wiretap somebody's communications. Uh, The idea that the proof that they're an agent of a foreign power, that they are a foreign power, uh, could be related to them as an individual, which is a complex way of saying that you wouldn't have to link the person if there's otherwise the appropriate – it's a non-U.S. person and it's a – got an international dimension. Uh, this is the Zacharias Moussaoui scenario, basically. It's what gave rise to this idea that you should still be able to get the FISA warrant for foreign intelligence collection purpose on a foreign target who's present in the United States, if, even if you can't show which specific country or non-state actor organization of the terrorist variety uh, they may be affiliated with because they might be a lone wolf presenting just as much or similar dangers and in relevance from a foreign intelligence perspective. That's due to sunset as well. And then so-called Section 215 uh, business records production orders. These are subpoena like authorities, um, most famous these days. Well, most famous originally in the Patriot Act because people were afraid that FBI was going to run around uh, subpoenaing libraries for people's. Uh, it's, it's a very kind of a quaint notion. Those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Um, Fear of what people would, what the government would discover about your reading habits through this administrative subpoena like authority. Um, And then much more famous later on as the statutory basis for collecting call detail records, not just in an individualized retrospective fashion, but in an ongoing fashion and indeed in a bulk fashion, which then, of course, post Snowden led to the dramatic set of events culminating in the USA Freedom Act which preserve the a form of the ability of the government to go make a call detailed record inquiry that would that would plug a number for a couple of hops into a bulk collection of numbers that may have been in contact with it. but the, but the bulk data is no longer held by the government or the Freedom Act. it's held entirely by the phone companies. Uh, they don't turn the bulk over to the government. So all that stuff's set to expire and then you throw into the mix a the the ongoing, uh, Trump-publican, that's my new phrase, you like that? Trump-publican uh, party hostility to the so-called deep state, and then you throw in the IG Horowitz report on the uh, the multiple and serious errors uh, from the FBI in the Carter Page FISA Title I application, and you have a recipe for a potential coalition not just to do something in relation to those expiring provisions, either not renewing some or all of them, or... Uh, well, not renewing them, or perhaps going after changes relating to the broader FISA Title One process, which actually isn't up right now, but it's an occasion
1: because it has no sunset. Right. So
0: here's a, I've got a quick rundown Wait, can, of can what's say, in can the I bill. say two more yeah, things before we run.
1: Through, so just two quick other points. Um, the bill that was getting marked up, right, is the reauthorization bill. There's nothing in the bill that's getting marked up that would actually touch Title One, right? So the question is whether folks are going to hold that hold the reauthorization hostage in the exchange for Title I reforms.
0: Well, this is what makes the markup interesting, right? Like, yes. won't we
1: see amendments today? But so this is, so So the, these are the two points I wanted to make. So one is there's been a lot of interesting noise from the Attorney General about how he's not interested in Title I reforms, um, right? And right, he's signaled that he wants a clean reauthorization. A clean reauthorization without, right? Um, and the other thing is, I don't know if you saw the story in the Times yesterday, the Charlie Savage exclusive. Um, so Charlie had a story in the Times yesterday about just how the the modified phone records program has worked, right? The USA Freedom Act version. And what he reports, I'm just summarizing his story, um, is that from 2015 to 2019, the program cost 100 million dollars and produced two unique counterterrorism intelligence reports.
0: Ooh, that two. is that's some leverage right there. Two. That's some pricey reports. That's those are some pricey reports. It's like those are like
1: Garrett Cole numbers. It's like it's, those are like right. It's like fifty million dollars. Should per, I say Louis Severino numbers? You know, you know, In you terms know. of the value you're getting. Uh, ouch! Ouch! Sorry. Too soon. Although I'm not an Yankees fan. So I know. It's, it's not ouch. <laughs> uh, by the way, did you see some? I don't know. Some serious professional baseball writer had the Mets fifth in what? their like World Series prediction. Like you know what? Ohio, I was like, "Excuse me." Is that just like they were in Vegas and they were
0: loaded? It was one in the morning. They went in the sports book. And they were like I, gotta, I had, gotta
1: talk this up. They had a whole explanation of like how the Mets could end up being like a, a dark horse. I'm like, "Have you met the Mets?" Ah, that I mean, I love the Mets, but I just no. That sounds pretty optimistic no. to me. All right. Anyway, sorry. So no, no, but So I say all this just by way of saying that, like, it seems like you know, as I think we've been saying all along, like, yes, there might be a broader conversation to have about structural reforms to FISA. It doesn't really seem like that's. I mean, certainly it doesn't seem like the Democrats are in a big hurry to modify Title One. Doesn't you know? But I, I, so there's
0: there's there are those out there, both from the libertarian side yes.
1: and, and also
0: sort of from the the Trump Republican realms, and then also from the more traditional privacy oriented uh, Democrat side that may we'll see if they find you know a little momentum could get something changed here. You're right that we don't see that in the bill currently, but by the end of the, the day. Or later, who knows what might show yeah, up? Yeah,
1: I just think Barr's statement yesterday is going to have a real you know, sort a of, of chilling effect, deflating effect on any real. Yeah. No, not because there shouldn't be reforms, but just because I think you know there are going to be plenty of folks who want to sort of get their sound bites in, but don't actually want to yeah. own own the reforms. So let me highlight:
0: if, if this bill were to, to be enacted on on this particular question, what it does is it just eliminates the ongoing uh, production. Uh, of call detail records. That's the most notable thing in this version of the bill. Um, and it would leave in place, as I read it, the ability to seek retroactive call records, like, hey, here's a target number. Can you subpoena to the phone company to get the account details and the call records for that phone number? Um, there's a bunch of other stuff in there that's interesting. There's some stuff about amicus uh, having the ability. One amicus who's appointed in a FISA Title One case would now have the ability to ask the court for an order authorizing the Amicus to contact another Amicus and have collaboration across that that group, um, which is uh, an interesting. I wonder if that's responsive to anything specific that had come up. There's an expansion of the circumstances that would warrant uh, Amicus involvement. Ooh, good pun. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, there's tweaks to mandatory reporting there's uh, tweaks to what has to be reported. There's an interesting change to the P club that would make clear that members can be P-club. reappointed and that they could stay in place even after their term expires and continue to carry out the functions of the
1: office right. this is this is a response to the the incorporate
0: that used to be a theme on this show indeed um, what else is there there's there's a requirement of a report on the extent to which First Amendment activities, among other things, uh, have been the basis or used in FISA applications, which would be a very interesting report. Um, And then the sunset is reset to December 1st, 2023. Uh, I can't imagine it's not gonna get tweaked more than this, but perhaps the most likely thing is just that the whole thing gets kicked down the road uh, for another 6 months while these issues get worked out. Anyways, watch this space.
1: Maybe some Pfizer reform, maybe not. <coughs> I'm not holding my breath. But I do think I mean the I don't want to bury the lead on Charlie's story. I mean, right the, you know, if the the path of least resistance is a clean reauthorization for a right. program that's very expensive and not apparently especially effective,
0: well, I would say that what Charlie's story augurs and I can easily imagine this happening is that the Lone Wolf, roving wiretaps and what I would call regular yeah. administrative subpoenas under Section 215, not bulk data collection, that all that gets clean re-auth, and then that the actual uh, lingering vestige of the bulk metadata program just gets killed off for lack of a strong push from the administration.
1: Maybe, although you know the lone wolf provision keeps getting re-authed even though it's it's never been used either. So, okay, but what's the harm? Um. Fair, uh, so so th- right. The Lone Wolf provision doesn't ha- doesn't cost anything, as right. opposed to the phone records. Right. Which well, and we much.
0: and we do have the it doesn't get used, but the historical example that gave rise to it is a pretty potent. That's right. Point. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, th- watch this space. Person. Yeah, watch this space. All right, or uh, or or listen to this space. That's true. You can't really watch this show. Yeah, we should uh, we should live stream the recording sometimes so people can see how distracted we are the entire time. All right. Speaking of which, um,
1: let's turn to Trumplandia. Trumplandia. We've got in an... Trumplandia sucks. I just want to say that I'm going to get you a T-shirt that says that. I just, I, I mean, I just, you know, I. It's our best segment. It's our most uh, frequently recurring. Someone, customer. someone. I think, I think Karen, Karen, or somebody else was talking about this the other day about how, like, it used to be that there would be one really bizarre bad thing that would happen in the government, and people would be outraged about it for a while. Right, and now it's like there's some new thing to be outraged about just about every day. That is true. I, it's tiring.
0: Uh, I know. I know. I, I too am exhausted. Not as exhausted as you are, but I also am exhausted. Yeah. Um, here, right, anyway. are the latest plotline development. Uh, we've got uh, a remarkable development at, at ODNI. There's the whole the whole mess where Shelby Pearson apparently testifies in front of members of both parties, answers questions yeah, they, about election interference. Wait, wait, wait. Let,
1: let me just put this in context, right? Um, the, uh, the uh, A senior staffer from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence testifies before her oversight committee, Yep, mm-hmm. right, which is conducted. Pu-
0: uh, not public, but a fully
1: formal committee process. A formal committee process. Both parties presented, represented. by Before the committee that created the office. And people go
0: bonkers when the president learns that Something in what she said was in the nature of suggesting that the Russians were going to intervene so, so to support a, his re-election.
1: There's a theme to all of our Trump-landia today, which is something appropriate happening and getting blown out of proportion and mis, and and mischaracterized in a way that makes it sound inappropriate and then becoming a story because no one bothers to actually pay attention to what actually happened.
0: I, I guess I disagree that the, that the nature of the problem is... Lack of due diligence. I don't think it's that. I think that well, it's, a this co- one. it's a purposeful choice by the administration to. First of all, you get these purposeful decisions by the president yeah.
1: to to go bonkers no, on no.
0: anyone he thinks is in any way purposeful. On
1: purposeful it. on the president's part, right? Yeah. But it's also just like. Folks who are who support the or at least enable the president to sort of accept. Oh, I think a lot of the them. I value. think
0: a lot of them. It's purposeful too. All right, fair. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, wow, Bobby has even less faith in people than I do. <laughs> that, I'm accusing them of lack of due diligence. Bobby's ac- accusing them of like malice. I know.
0: I should. I should be kinder on Ash Wednesday. Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm Jewish. I don't have that problem. Uh, it, it,
0: it, it, it is a cross I will have to bear. Get it? Yep. Yep. All right. Um, so Grinnell is in. And, uh, of course, for listeners who don't know who he is, he is he is infamous as the China-breaking, uh, norm-upsetting, not-diplomatic ambassador to, to Germany that we've had, who's uh, been not hesitant, shall we say, to uh, play an undiplomatic role in taking to Twitter and blasting the host government for this and that, um, but somebody, And
1: also, can I say, has no intelligence experience.
0: No, right. Well, I mean, he's got the experience of any ambassador in that presumably he has been the recipient right. of. He's and, seen and, intelligence. And interacted with the station, <laughs> uh, the chief of station, if, if no one else over there. So he's he's been a customer to some extent. It's not zero, but it's not remotely what a director of national intelligence, not even in the ballpark of what a director of national intelligence should have. Indeed, by statute. Well, by statute, if you're nominated, well, okay, so so that. Been, we're, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into that nonsense in right. a second. So let's talk about that. So he's not. So this whole thing, it's 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 the continuing theme of the president likes people to to be dependent and not go through the confirmation process, but, which at some level is unconstitutional. But you can't ever operationalize that because, like, how many days? How many times? There's well, no red line but, to draw.
1: But but, but I, I'm with you on everything. There is a lie that was told by the National Security Advisor on national television about the vacancies process that I want to make sure everyone understands is a lie.
0: Okay, let's hear it. So
1: the last Senate confirmed DNI was Dan Coats. Mm-hmm. Right. Upon Coates's whether it was a resignation or not, upon Coats's departure, I will just say, the two hundred the 210-day clock in the Federal Vacancies Reform Act starts running. Right. McGuire, um, right? Joseph McGuire, Joe. right? Joe McGuire um, was the initial acting DNI. Right. And he
0: was almost timed out when this. He was, was the almost news. timed out. I think
1: March 11th, I think, is the yeah. end of the 210-day clock. We're not there yet. We're almost there. Right. Um, so the National Security Advisor went on the Sunday shows on Sunday. Well, that is when yeah, the Sunday yeah. shows are. Be awkward if he went on the Sunday shows on Saturday, and said, I believe at least on ABC and maybe on multiple of them, that they had to replace McGuire because the clock was about to expire. And I just want to say, replacing McGuire does not extend the clock. The clock expires on March 11th, no matter how many acting people you had during those 210 days. So I completely agree that there's n- there. I don't believe for a
0: second that's why Joe McGuire was excused well before right. they had the next person lined up, and clearly it was a result of of a reaction against him based on uh, the Shelby person yeah. testimony. So I don't believe that for a second. Um, But as to this idea, yes, the clock expires. But then I guess the question is, well, so what, though? Because if you don't have a nominee who's been confirmed. You
1: can't name another acting. Then it just devolves to whoever the senior person is in the office. So you're
0: saying as of March 11th, Grinnell is Could not have been named.
1: Um, As of March 11th, Grinnell is not the acting DNI, and so they'd have to put him in some kind of staff position in the – they have to put him in some Mm -hmm. kind of permanent staff position in ODNI and then have that permanent staff position be the person who is exercising the functions of the acting DNI. So given
0: all the many openings, who does under the statute on March 11th – we won't have a confirmed uh, new DNI. No, no,
1: but we might have a nominee. So that changes. So, so that Does that satisfy? Yes, it? yes. So the way that, so so let me say two things, right? One, so O'Brien was sort of misdirecting, and I think lying, when he says, we had to change. Oh, it's had- nothing to do with okay. Pearson.
0: It's just, we had to get rid of.
1: Right. Um. So Grinnell stops being the acting DNI on March 12th, unless, by that point, the president has formally submitted a nominee to the Senate. Which be- could be Grinnell. Which, uh. It, well, if it's Grinnell, then Grinnell can't be the active. You can't. Uh, that's be, true. It's a whole separate problem. Right? So the,
0: and and I think he has indicated that he didn't expect to stay in this position that's right. long. Well, but, but and, he hasn't resigned his ambassadorship. And
1: it won't be Grinnell because you know Grinnell can't be confirmed by the Senate. Um, I saw. I, 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 I don't know. No, I do. Um, I, I saw a report. Why are
0: you so confident that the, that he wouldn't get confirmed? Or is it just like is that more of a want?
1: Them. No, I'm I'm confident he wouldn't get... I mean, so, so the name that's getting floated around is John Ratcliffe, right? The congressman from outside... Yeah, Dan Ratcliffe. Wait,
0: I've already seen that movie.
1: I, so I've seen that movie too. Um, there are two... That po- already failed. <laughs> that, already, that did already fail. Um, but... It doesn't have to succeed. This is the thing about the, yet another bug in the federal right. vacancy so format. Can,
0: they can nominate somebody as the placeholder and leave that out there forever. It
1: tolls the clock. And then even if the Senate votes the nomination down, if they just don't act on the nomination, then the clock just is told. Just told. But even if they vote it down, there's still another period of time when Grinnell could continue to be the acting DNI.
0: So who's the DNI on March 12th and during the tolling period?
1: So if a nominee is submitted to the Senate, right. no matter how implausible, right. by March 12th, right. then Grinnell remains the acting DNI under the auspices of the Federal Vacancies Reform Act as of March 12th.
0: So if they want to just have Grinnell in there, the smart play is to nominate somebody else and, and tell then McConnell to Senate. sit on it. And yeah, right. Good heavens. Yay! Uh, oh, okay, that's <laughs> a lot to swallow. Uh, what else? Uh, what else is happening in Trumplandia?
1: Well, there's the stone nonsense, but I don't even... I, nah. uh, um, yeah. I do want to say a word. This is a little bit outside our brief, but hopefully you'll, 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 you'll not find it too far outside of our brief. Um, so the president went after Justice Sotomayor in Ginsburg mm-hmm. the other day. Saw that. Um, and it's actually – so we had talked very briefly about the, the stay the Supreme Court issued in the public charge case, right? So there was another stay issued Friday night. Um, in the one remaining uh, public charge case where there was an injunction in Illinois,
0: and this has to do with impacting the immigration system such that you can't get in if you're likely to become a public charge. If, the
1: government, likely, if the government deems you likely, which of course, that's,
0: but, right. And so they've got this rule, and, and so how did this lead to the criticism?
1: Okay, so so step one, right? The rule is subject to different injunctions: a nationwide injunction in New York and a statewide injunction in Illinois. Um, About a month ago, I've lost track of the time, the Supreme Court stayed the nationwide injunction from New York. Friday night, they stayed the Illinois-specific injunction. And Justice Sotomayor wrote a pretty um, assertive and acerbic uh, seven-page dissent from the stay, which was five to four.
0: Which strikes me as like that's just kind of normal stuff.
1: Right. Now, her dissent does accuse the the majority of putting their thumb on the scale of the federal government in these stay cases – which sounds familiar. I feel like I know someone who wrote a larvae article hmm. saying similar things. Who, but who reads those
0: things? Yeah, <laughs> um, and right. And she she specifically says she specifically implied, or I think, asserted that there's a thumb on the scale when the Trump administration is the party.
1: Yes, but I want to be very Which clear. A little more,
0: maybe. A, I would say just a little more pointed than one might normally respect, but I wouldn't say wildly. And
1: and to be fair, right, she's not accusing the justices of personal bias, right? She's accusing them of tilting the scales in favor of the Trump administration as a litigant, right, to wit, the executive branch, the federal government.
0: There's a a little blurring there. I think a reasonable person could see that as not all that distinguishable from saying that you guys are favoring. The party that is your party of appointment—it's not too different from that.
1: I guess I'm not sure. I mean, so this is where I guess I get stuck. So um, the so Fox News runs a story, runs a series of sensational stories over the weekend about how Sotomayor accused the majority of pro-Trump bias, right—that right. they're biased in right. favor of the president, right—and and,
0: and, and framed it really broadly, not in reference to this narrow kind of dispute, but trying to make a claim that oh, the this dissenting justice is basically saying like you guys are all just biased. Right, people.
1: you're in the bag for Trump. And, and I just want to say that I, I actually think there's a very important distinction between a justice accuse, or a judge accusing their colleagues of unfairly favoring the government as a litigant, right, which I think is, you know, it is a strong claim. It is a powerful claim, but I don't think it is an inappropriate claim just on its face and saying you are personally biased in favor of this person. Because those are different to me, right? Those, one is,
0: those are different. Uh, it gets blurry in, in a highly personalized administration. Uh, well, this is, this so, but it
1: also gets blurry in a world in which there are people who don't think there's a meaningful distinction between the president and the government. Right. And, you know, that this to me is one of the symptoms of blurring the line between the United States government and Donald Trump.
0: The uh, So I guess what I would say about the line of criticism is certainly I would have preferred to see a line of criticism that says – that their views have the effect of unfairly, if she really doesn't mean to cast aspersions on yeah. them of a more personal level, it'd be better to see it framed in terms of their views having the effect of favoring the administration. If it's framed in a way that could fairly be read to suggest that, no, your, your thumb's just kind of on the scale, that's- no, least, no, no, you no, know,
1: but if you, so this is my objection. So Trump then tweets Monday morning Right. You know, uh, Sotomayor and Ginsburg are being so unfair to me. They should recuse in all right. Trump it's cases. It's a classic
0: Trumpy counterpunch where, where he tries to flip something around right. and make it an issue about the person.
1: Solely because he saw a story on Fox News. Right. right he's Not responding because, to some Roy right. Ingraham thing. If you actually read Sotomayor's dissent, she does – Bobby, She she makes exactly the distinction you're suggesting she should have. She says, right, in this class of cases – right? The, the, my, my colleagues in the majority are, un, are are favoring the federal government as a litigant, right? Or at least appear to be favoring the federal government as a litigant. And I don't think, first of all, I, I don't think that's an unfair charge. I actually think it's true. I've written a 41-page law review article that yeah. says this is true. But I also think it is not um, nearly, right, the kind of like, – I would draw a distinction between Sotomayor in a dissent criticizing the majority for putting the thumb on the scale in favor of the federal government, and Ginsburg say publicly, right, saying nasty things about Trump.
0: Right. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. There are context, and they're not all the same. Um, I also think this whole episode, though, in our discussion of it is an example of this recurring theme we've got where I think sometimes the administration, the Trump and the, and the people magnifying his, his viewpoints, um, the whole point is to get people talking about, in this case, that Sotomayor and that Ginsburg, in the same way that they will use ACO yeah. or Bernie Sanders or other sort of uh, negative icons, if you will, for their base. These people are negative icons that represent things that you can use by keeping the conversation focused on them. You can you can rile up your base and get people enthused about you. And the actual content of what happened is entirely irrelevant Well, but but I, but, I, I,
1: but I also think that this is not, is not a coincidence that the court is three and a half weeks away from the Trump subpoena cases from hearing world argument in Right. You know,
0: so he's increasingly agitated, beginning to hear But he's and,
1: also trying to fire up the base in case those cases go badly for him.
0: Yeah, no I think it's all right. And that's
1: dangerous as it's No the
0: whole, look look, I think everything that has to do with politicizing and trying to when when you can't fire people, going back to this I prefer acting well, right, theme. Right. When you can't fire people when they have life tenure, it's to protect them from political pressure. Right. But that doesn't mean they're actually fully insulated such that political pressures don't exist. They exist in the real world. And insofar as you can rile up the political process and the larger politics of our nation and, and, and <laughs> make characters in your narrative drama out of these people, yeah. um, you could exert some sort of indirect effects.
1: All right, speaking of characters in the drama, should we talk about COVID-19? Yeah, boy, this is a increasingly uh, frightening situation
0: in some respects. We were we were Bureaucratically,
1: drawn- too. What's that?
0: Bureaucratically, too. Oh, it is. Well, it it is a great illustration of there being areas of law, like the emergency powers we've talked about previously on the show, that people in the know who study those areas are very familiar with how it all works, but the public generally doesn't and can be really shocked when they discover, hey, by the way, here's how this works. And we're beginning to get a reminder of how various powers relating to quarantine and isolation and associated uh, government activities will work. And- probably are going to have to work on a much larger scale before this is, before this is sort of restored to a new equilibrium. Um, what we wanted to talk about today was brought to our attention on Twitter, where the city of Costa Mesa in California uh, went to court, the city and the mayor, suing basically the federal government and the state government in California, because they learned that some of the uh, evacuees who were asymptomatic but had tested positive, they were, they were COVID positive, but asymptomatic. They're at Travis, uh, is it Air Force Base? Is it in California? And apparently there was planning afoot to figure out what to do with those who got sick, who were then taken to a hospital, who then were needing to be in isolation for uh, a certain period until I think it's, you have to test twice, more than 24 hours apart for being no longer uh, ill. Before they could then be released and you don't want to keep them at the hospital, but you also can't return them or, or the government doesn't want to return them to the military base. So the government was beginning to work with California on locating a place that could be the isolation, uh, the further quarantine location and uh, some facility that the government was looking at in Costa Mesa. The word mm-hmm. got out and the city council and the mayor flipped out, went to court, got a TRO and. Um, So the case is in front of Judge Josephine Stanton, who's going to hold a hearing on March 2nd. I think the TRO is simply a hold in place until that hearing type TRO. People shouldn't read anything about the merits, I think, into that. Um, And and having looked at the, the government's motion to dismiss the complaint, I think the government's going to win this one. Because one thing everybody's going to learn is that the powers of public health for detention and other forms of intervention, are to, quite broad. Oh, uh, they are—they are perhaps the broadest and most sweeping, and most likely to generate deference from the courts. Um, so the the claims. There's a variety of claims. There's a procedural due process claim. There's a substantive due process claim. There's an administrative procedures act claim um kind of running through those real quick the city argues that the agency in this case the cdc hasn't complied with its own regulations about uh, preserving public safety when transferring prisoners or not prisoners maybe that is the right word but transferring uh persons subject to quarantine in isolation um the government's response is we do not have a final agency action this is all just being planned and negotiated so this is wildly premature but Anyways, also, that this is a bunch of decision-making committed to agency discretion, not the sort of thing that courts can second-guess, um, and I think probably the courts are going to agree with that. The procedural due process and substantive due process claims, there's a threshold question about what right is it of a city as a as a legal entity or, or city officials to even make such claims on, as a third-party claim on behalf of the people of their region? Uh, they seem... Likely to lose on that front, although one never knows for sure. Uh, on substantive due process, this is basically a uh, Sacramento v. Lewis type claim. This is the sort of claim one sees where the government takes an action. That in the normal case, there is harm. Some government agents, you know, police are chasing somebody, or there's a riot in a prison, and then either the survivors or or the decedent's estate, somebody brings an action saying that the government acted so recklessly that it shocked the conscience. And so this is a shocks the conscience test. Anticipating that the CDC isn't going to handle its business appropriately here. And again, even if they can overcome the standing problems, I'm very doubtful that the court would recognize a shocks the conscious violation here, in part because the doctrine, as illustrated in Sacramento v. Lewis, the doctrine heavily emphasizes the nature of the government's interest and the surrounding circumstances. And if it's a, you know, what shocks the conscience in the midst of trying to put down a prison riot is different from what happens when you're chasing a non-violent felon trying to make an arrest and so on around the horn. Transferring coronavirus, asymptomatic, but nonetheless positive uh, quarantine detainees, that's going to generate a huge amount of deference. And I think rightly so.
1: I think that's right. I I, I think the litigation to me is less a focus right now than the crisis response at the federal government level. Um, and which we have an event about starting here in Ooh, one hour. Yeah, times. and apparently the president's also having a press conference tonight or not. Sorry, a press conference implies that he's filled in questions, a public he's showing, make a, public statement? a public statement. Well, he, the
0: president, of course, is activated basically by the markets, right? He's he's wound up. So, the markets so are
1: I, I, this is the thing I want to talk about. Right. So <clears throat> the problem with coronavirus from the president's perspective has nothing to do with the human impact or the suffering, or the, the CDC funding that the government so, raided last I, year I, to build I, the wall. So,
0: yeah, right. I, I will not. I will join you in, in waving a pitchfork at the administration's ridiculously short-sighted uh, undermining of the CDC. I actually think that... I to think build the wall, which can't keep which out of the virus. It, which, <laughs> don't think it's meant to, but I agree that that's ridiculous to, to switch that money around. Um, I don't know that we can... I don't think it's necessarily the case that trump wouldn't actually care about the human suffering i think there have been plenty of episodes. he has no empathy i i don't think that's true i think he has huge flaws but there have been instances for example his reaction to syria and ordering the strike on syria after the chemical weapons used by the Assad administration seems to have been this gut reaction he had to what he saw on tv and actually having a negative reaction to some of the suffering i'm not making a claim that he's some humanitarian but i think it's a little caricature too much so or an overclaim to say that he doesn't actually care about anything other than the economic effects. That said, I agree that the reason he's going to go on TV tonight and the reason he's been tweeting is he's trying to calm the markets because he knows that losing the strong economy suddenly does endanger his uh, re-election bid. And and of course that's something he also intrinsically cares about so much and that 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 actually is terribly important insofar as the knock-on effects from a real serious recession that could be precipitated by this are harmful across everybody's interest all around the board. Um, in any event, I, I'm just glad he's actually maybe beginning to pay more attention to this, um, not confident in his ability to administer and manage things.
1: I, mean, I think he's paying more attention entirely because he's worried about the effect on the stock market. Well, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, there's um, That was the story. It Was was it the Washington Post yesterday? I think Jeff Stein and Josh Dawsey. Right, how just, um, that the the reason why Trump is alarmed about coronavirus is because of the stock markets.
0: Yeah, I think that's no doubt what got his attention first. And Yay. it is a dominant
1: consideration. But I just don't think it's
0: quite, I think it, it, we don't need to suggest that he's literally got no interest in the suffering of people who Fair get enough.
1: This. But how about this, it is not his priority. It's not a as highest as priority. Okay, and then we have the problem, right? Uh, so I hear that I think we have the confluence of two very dangerous things that we've talked about before. One is um, replacing competent government officials with people whose principal feature um, is that they're loyal to the president, right? In do certain you, Do zones. you think that's manifested here? I don't. I, not necessarily the CDC, but there's talk about the president appointing uh, a coronavirus czar. We'll see who that is, right? Well, there's, that would be weird. Um, I, 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 I'm just saying, like, like. What I worry about, I don't think we're there yet. But what I worry about is the confluence of prioritizing fealty over competence. Well, let me retract what I just said. I said it'd be weird from the point of view. If what it depends on what this means. If
0: what it means is he will restore the pre-existing position that did exist in the NSC process, precisely intended to uh, to oversee and ensure intergovernmental coordination, interagency coordination. In the incredibly complex set of responses we're going to need if and when coronavirus starts spreading within the U.S., that's a good thing. Now, he, you're right. We certainly need to take a close look. If, if Grinnell gets that job, too, we should be very concerned. I'm very doubtful that for something that whatever his motivations now has gotten on the agenda as something strategically significant in his mind – I'm very doubtful that they'll put in someone who doesn't uh, look like a plausible person to have that sort of role. Is he going to pick Lisa Monica to reprise some of her prior roles in this? No, it'll be somebody that'll be partisan compatible with him. I get that. But I don't think that means we're going to get somebody who has no business doing it. Like Um, Grinnell as the actual DNI? Oh, but you, you think he cares in the same way? I don't think he cares in the same way at all. I think it's totally apples and oranges. But, you know, we don't have to try to predict it because we're going to find out.
1: I know. But then combine that with the diversion of money. And so then he has to go back to Congress to ask for money that should have been there in the first should place. Should have been there in
0: the first place. No, there's no question about that. That's why the first thing I say is I completely agree with you about the outrageousness of taking funding from the CDC. And Which, otherwise. by
1: the way, when it happened, like, a, it happened, like, what, late, middle last year? And I think I mentioned it on the podcast. Oh, I think
0: we talked on the show about it. I right. think we both did.
1: And how, like, yeah, the thing you want to do is take money away from CDC yeah. and FEMA.
0: No, that's ridiculous all right, um, let's talk about Hernandez.
1: Ugh, just twist the knife deeper. Okay. All right,
0: so let's turn to the Vladek. So, so
1: as I was landing, as I was landing um, from my flight yesterday to go argue Larrabee, uh, the Supreme Court handed down Hernandez. Yay! They wanted to give you motivation. Totally. Um, so I think it was largely, as I probably expected, walking out of the oral argument. Uh, I was wrong about who had the opinion. It was Justice Alito. Um, I thought it might be Kavanaugh because I thought Kavanaugh might be the, the justice closest to me. But but no.
0: No. So Original, you, knew you were in
1: trouble. Um, oh, I mean, apparently uh, one of my friends was actually in the courtroom yesterday for the argument in Sinanian Smith and was sitting next to someone who she said, when when the chief said Justice Alito has the opinion of the court in Hernandez, the person next to her, like, gasped.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, uh
1: We know how that's going.
0: No, that's uh, – so, and so – At at the threshold, you know, there will not be a recognition of a Bivens claim here. But then did you start to wonder before you dug into it, would Bivens itself survive? Did you know that there would be talk? Did you anticipate there would be talk, at least by
1: Thomas? So so, so let's just briefly recap. So it's a 5-4 opinion, Alito for the conservatives, saying we're not going to recognize a Bivens remedy for this cross-border shooting. Um, I should say, even though no one else pointed this out yesterday, um, the first time the Supreme Court has ever refused to recognize a Bivens remedy in a case where the claim was that an individual federal law enforcement officer um, acted ultra-virus. Uh, I think that's a pretty big line that the court crossed, but c'est la vie. Um, so Justice Thomas um, reprised, actually went a little further. Thomas had already suggested that Bivens should be limited to its facts. Um, right. And he wrote that, I think, in, in Hernandez 1. Oh, so
0: he hadn't gone further before this. this no. His...
1: Yes, he says, let's just overrule Bivens. And he picked up a friend in Justice Gorsuch. He did. Now, did that surprise you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, no, given how Gorsuch was at the argument, but it surprised me a little that a justice who at least outwardly claims to be really committed to original understandings of everything, including, I would think, the remedial structure of government accountability. Do you think he's being non originalist here, or do you yes. think he
0: disagrees with you as to what the evidence suggests I think, on the originalism? I dimension? think the
1: I think the majority in general and the Thomas Gorsuch opinion in particular are stunningly indifferent to originalism.
0: So they're being consequentialist. They think it's bad to have these suits and it's being driven by a well, policy concern about gumming up the government with
1: I, So their objection is a separation of powers objection, right? Which I understand, but um the objection they are they are setting up a straw man when they portray the objection as we created this monster in 1971 and so it's up to us to tear it down wholly oblivious to the world of common law damages remedies that existed until 1988
0: and of course they know that but they're not we briefed to grips it. with it i mean
1: one yeah. could one could argue that in prior cases the matter was not adequately briefed and so you can't blame it but you know, not only we brief it, it came up in oral argument. Is it enough
0: for them to say if they were gonna face this more directly, to say, look, yeah, right, there was a list. that was common law, this is
1: constitution, this is different. So there's a quick note in the there's a brief discussion of Erie, right? There's a, a nod toward Erie. Um I think you still have to account for the consequences of Congress cutting off um the common law remedy in nineteen eighty eight, right? Of right. of the affirmative legislative action. Right of ousting state courts of the ability to hold federal officers accountable and what that portends for the role of federal courts. And I think, you know, the, the extent to which the court has intention, uh, increasingly intentionally ignored the Westfall Act in these cases is really disappointing because one can read the opinion and have no idea that, like, you know, there actually was a much richer story here. So so
0: which vote did you not get that you hoped that you might
1: well, I mean going into Kavanaugh. the argument, I thought, you know, we had maybe a shot at Gorsuch. It's now clear Gorsuch yeah, has given right. as much as everybody. Um, and then the only other, you know, Kavanaugh was the only one of the conservative justices who showed any sort of skepticism about the many, many problems with I mean, the other thing that no one talks about in any of the opinions is all, almost all the arguments that Justice Alito adopts are the amicus's arguments, right? The government's arguments, not the respondent's arguments. Um, the court loves to say we don't usually consider arguments made only by the amici, except when they do. And here they did. Um, so, you know, I don't... I, mean, I Listen, I went in thinking it was a long shot. I thought our only hope was Gorsuch. I walked out of the argument thinking if we had any shot, it was Kavanaugh, but even then it was still a long shot.
0: Yeah. So not surprising.
1: No, but, you know... You factored just,
0: this into your stock price already. Disappointing. Yeah. What about... So the, the upshot of all this is that, according to the majority, um, a remedy in this situation perhaps should exist, but it should be generated by Congress. Yeah, Is there some bill? I mean, the Democrats control the House. Is there some bill?
1: There's no constituency for creating a damages remedy for non-citizens. And so, so, so
0: even the Democrats aren't moving that.
1: No. I mean, I think the, there's long been discussion of, of a more general, like a federal version of Section 1983, which is the, the statute that allows for federal remedies against state officers who violate constitutional rights. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a draft of a bill that was going to be introduced if the Democrats had retaken the Senate um, in 2016 that was going to be introduced in 2017.
0: But it sounds like there's not actually a Democrat interest in pushing this. You know, I understand I, that. the I understand why that would be that there's like there's no. Political I, I think it here. is
1: on the list of things that the Democrats want to push if and when they, they are once again in control of both houses. Um, I think of the things they want to push when they only control the house. This is this for yeah. whatever reason hasn't been a priority. I, see. I got
0: it. That makes sense. It, the The politics of it make perfect sense.
1: But I should say, um, the it make, they make perfect sense in in one respect. What I've never understood is why there isn't broad bipartisan consensus that there ought to be damages remedies when federal officers violate clearly established constitutional rights. like I just, I've never understood at a core level the hostility to the idea that it's appropriate for courts, whether exercising common law power or constitutionally derived power, to provide remedies because we do it in the injunctive context. And so why are damages that different? Now, one argument well, because
0: it, it I would think it's more attractive to plaintiff's lawyers, and therefore you'll get more vex, what, what critics would say, you're going to get much more vexatious litigation. So cap damages. Or, yeah. Well, I guess. I, mean, I, you know. I would,
1: I would, I would far prefer a regime where So
0: nominal damages.
1: Sure. I mean, the yes, the yeah. money is important for the plaintiffs, but like establishing here's the problem. The problem in practice is that now there's no opportunity to establish what the limits are on border patrol officers. Right. No, that's
0: the, the question. that leaves open is like so. Wait. So what's to stop somebody from? doing things like this purpose and the answer
1: is nothing i well, mean this the, is... the
0: answer would be like well do you really think nothing would happen if somebody actually was believed by their spirits to be going around shooting the answer is and i know and i it, viewer listeners should know that steve's saying that's exactly what i think he's saying it with his eyes um I mean, like, there are some extreme. there's there's a spectrum here and there's some amount of abuse that would no question be tolerated the interesting question is not like is nothing ever going to be done it's not that that's more of a caricature that's right. the question is how do we have a reasonably well tailored set of disincentives that won't be a wellspring of right do you trust the government to discipline itself so no, no. so and, there, and no one should including course, let me say conservatives shouldn't think
1: that that's my problem right now um, I, I agree wholeheartedly that there will be especially egregious cases where the government is only too happy to prosecute criminally yeah. federal officers who cross the line. It's that, the
0: marginal cases where the brotherhood of officers and the sense of fellow feeling, or where there's no in,
1: criminality, right? Where the where the violation is a civil constitutional speech. violation, yeah. right. and the only thing and the the only thing the government would do at that point is employment discipline, not not criminal like administrative discipline, not criminal discipline, and you know. I hope the government would take administrative discipline very seriously. But, Bobby, every historical example we have under Democratic and Republican administrations alike is that the government cannot be trusted to discipline its own.
0: Not on the margin cases. Yeah. Um, do you want to say something about Larrabee before we do our frivolous? Yeah,
1: sure. So so I was actually in D.C. yesterday to argue this motion, to dis- the government's motion to dismiss Larrabee, our civil suit, challenging the constitutionality of court-martial jurisdiction over retired service members
0: which looms really large when you think about say a prominent former military officer leveling criticisms at say the commander in chief huh
1: that never happens um i'll just say it, it was a fascinating and strange hearing um the the punchline which i think is the most important part is judge leon denied the government's motion to dismiss from the bench um i think we i think the next steps is that we're probably now just going to go straight to dual you know competing motions for summary judgment since all we're fighting about is pure questions of law. There's no no need for discovery or right. evidence taken. This is good. Um, um, so you're
0: still in the game?
1: Well, and, I mean, I, you know, one can never be sure, but I certainly walked away from the hearing yesterday thinking that he was actually quite sympathetic to our position on the merits.
0: I can imagine that. I mean, Judge Leon, I think, is, th- is potentially going to see it your way.
1: And he seemed quite taken, especially with the argument that jurisdiction over retirees is anachronistic. Um, and that it no longer that that the historical justification for it to wit that they're paid a continuing salary isn't actually true that it's really a pension. Yeah, right. And that future recall is not really a sufficient basis to to try them, especially for non-service connected offenses.
0: yeah, I've been I've been sympathetic to your argument know, all along long.
1: So all this to say, I, I, you know, it'll probably be a couple months before we finish the summary judgment briefing and get a ruling. but you know, I, I think there's a good chance. We win in district court, and then it's the government that's appealing to the D.C. Circuit.
0: Well, you, you deserve a win, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's be, let's make you happier, Steve. Let's get frivolous.
1: Yay! All
0: right. Uh, so let's talk. I want to talk Picard first because I was a little surprised you came in negative. So, friends, tune out if you want to uh, not hear spoilers. You want do Picard before? Come from away? Okay. Well, should we do it in order of things that actually might be spoilers? Stay Picard. Tell Picard to the end. Let's do that. Okay. So let's talk about Disney first, and then we'll oh, Disney first.
1: So we, went to Disney. We, we so we took the girls to Disneyland over the weekend as sort of a belated birthday present for Maddie. Um, it was a lot of fun. We stayed fairly close. We didn't stay on property, but we stayed there. There's this whole like bunch of hotels that are like yeah. about a 10 or 15 minute walk from Disneyland. So
0: the weather was nice. And it the was weather was distance. really
1: cooperative. We walked a lot. Um, and we brought our big double stroller, um, which was a pain to travel with, but amazing when we were there. Yeah, it's worth it. It was really worth it. Um, the I think the girls had a great time. I think you know. Not surprisingly, um, Maddie was into the shows and Sydney was into the rides. Which, okay, real quick, which shows did you see? So we saw, we saw the live Frozen, which was spectacular. I bet that was good. Um, Sydney, who doesn't sit still, sat still for an hour. She's <laughs> just like transfixed. Um, we saw the live, uh, we saw the Disney Junior Dance Party. Um, we saw, uh, Tangled, um, we saw Mickey and the Invisible Map, or not, the Magic Map. Okay. Um, if there was a live show, we saw it. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the girls were not quite old enough for the rides. We did some of the cute, really, like the Little Mermaid ride.
0: Yeah, yeah. The you know, Little
1: Mermaid ride in the, in the teacups, yeah, yeah. Sm- the cups that We did around. the teacups, um, we did the Dumbo ride, but anything more yeah. than that was a little much for did them. Did you
0: go into, uh, Adventureland and, like, you know, soaring? Did yeah. you do soaring? I love that yeah, one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so my, um... My sister-in-law and her husband um, came down with my nephew for one of the nights. And so uh, Matt, Matt Myra, my, my sister-in-law's husband, um, so we went back after the kids were down one night to go do all the Star Wars stuff.
0: Nice. Oh, wait, real quick. Did you do Cars.
1: Um, we did not do cars. Oh, okay, uh, too bad. I love that one. But
0: I want to hear about your adventures in Star Wars Land. Although
1: we did go to we did go to Flo's Cafe, which was in the Cars Land part of California Adventure, which was great. Um, so the Star Wars stuff is cool. Yep. I mean, there is a full sized uh, Millennium Falcon. Which is very cool. Yep. The ride, the Millennium Falcon ride. But um, I, I think it's
0: pretty. I think it's almost more fun going through the Falcon as you're waiting in line. The actual ride itself, so I think, it's pretty mediocre.
1: Um. And then Matt and I, we did the whole rise. So, so the huge to do at Disneyland these days is the Rise of the Resistance ride. Um. Which you have to like people basically show up right when the park opens to get on the virtual queue. Right. And then spend all day waiting for it to be their turn. Okay. Um So we were group ninety one. So it's finally our turn at like seven o'clock. Wow. Um, okay. So we got in line at like 7. Um, 45 minutes later, we, the line has moved somewhat, but then the ride apparently broke down. Oof. So then we wait just without moving for an hour. Um, and then we get going again. The ride apparently breaks again for a few minutes. So we finally get onto the ride about 9 o'clock, two hours after we joined the, the line, after having been in the virtual queue all day. So, you know, not the best part of the experience. No. Um, The ride is pretty darn cool. It's it's a multi-part ride, right, where only actually the very last part is you actually sitting in a proper ride vehicle that's moving you around. It's very cool. I mean, it's, it's very, very cool. The last part especially is awesome, but it's
0: pretty quick. And so After it's like all that. The ratio is brutal.
1: The ratio. So it is pretty cool. The animatronics are awesome. The special effects are really interesting and really fun. You actually really do feel like you're on a Star Destroyer, um, which is kind of creepy. That's pretty um, amazing. My favorite part was all of the staff. Like all of the the Disneyland people are in character as obnoxious irreverent First Order officers.
0: Nice. So they're hassling everybody? They're
1: hassling everybody. They're yelling at you. Like, you know, they're telling you if, you, if you're if you laughing, you know, what's so funny? <laughs> that's awesome. Um, It's at, like, you know, because usually they're not, usually the yeah, yeah. they're all there to help you. I
0: mean, I've seen the stormtroopers on patrol in that area, like hassling people. Hey, papers, please. The storm they usually troopers, keep it pretty teeny. Yeah, but
1: the First Order people in Rise of the Resistance are, are, you know, they're your guards and you're their prisoners.
0: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and it was late at night, and some people had been, you know, yeah, yeah, drinking. So there was there was stuff to be said. That's
0: awesome. All right, I will I will do it next time I'm out there. So
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I, what I would say is do the virtual queue thing. Hopefully the ride won't break as often, but apparently it's been yeah, a problem. Right. So um, what we actually we saw the second thing that broke we actually saw because they hadn't fixed it. It just let people go through the line yeah, anyway. Like, all right, give um, up on that. One of the Kylo Ren animatronics had broken. <laughs> <coughs>
0: well, it serves them right.
1: But also there were like these cool digital holograms. They were actually pretty darn oh, wow. uh, 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 authentic.
0: All right, you've kind of fired me up for it. You know, we're gonna be out in, in the California area in a month or so, and uh, I don't think I'm gonna make a special trip over to Anaheim to Fair. do this. All right, uh, come from away, come from away. So if, we both saw it last week. It's amazing. I I knew I would like it simply because. So it's the story of Gander of those who landed on their diverted planes at Gander and how thirty-eight they, planes, the the uh, the oilanders uh, took him in, and and all the just the relationships that formed. in the
1: northeast corner of North America. There's an <laughs> island called Newfoundland.
0: I I knew I would like it because of course it's 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 a 9/11 themed uh, in focus set of stories. You you figured that had to be good. I wasn't prepared for how much I would really find the stories compelling, and that the the music was good. It was funny. It was sweet. It was. It charming. was sweet
1: and it was cute. Like I mean, yeah, like and not and not saccharine sweet. Just sweet. It wasn't smarmy. Like it was, it was, it was a feel good story. And like mm-hmm. you know, we spend so much time these days being mad about stuff and mm-hmm. being mad at people and like you know, just sort of being frustrated with the world. And it was this remarkably, um, you know, just pleasant. Yeah, it now, was very, it's very
0: uplifting. Now,
1: now, mind you, I mean. A very dark event, right? And oh, and, I, I, and one of the characters in the play suffers a loss, right? You know, and and so it's not like you know all happy, happy, joy, joy. But it is a, such a good story about um, kinship and camaraderie and, well, and shared humanity, shared humanity, and going through crisis together and lifting people up. And it's just, it was just like, I mean, you know, it's not Hamilton or Les Mis. It's not like some fancy big budget production where everything is like stunning.
0: It actually makes it all the better that it's right. as effective as it's like, it is.
1: It's like, it's small. It's like, what, there's a cast of, like, what, 12? characters ca- right. and, and they play all and the they play and everybody. Actually, by the way, it's part of the fun is yeah.
0: watching them so nimbly transform with the most minimal costume change. And different accents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very impressive. It's so sweet. The music was really good, and I love it. The band comes forward and jams
1: at the end. Right, the band comes on a couple times, yeah. right? Comes into the... Um,
0: I was so struck by how people erupted yeah. out of their seats. Yeah. The moment... And people... I've never quite seen, even in Hamilton and some other big shows, that authentic a a, a theater wide reaction of people wanting to express to the performers how much they love what they just saw. And
1: I think I mean that happened the night we were. So you went uh, the night after we. Yeah, went, we were the next night, and it was just it was the same reaction. It's just it was such a it's just such a it's just so warm. Like yeah, it is. You walk out of that play just feeling like man, and and the thing is that story is basically true. Yep. I mean, yeah. there there are a couple of embellishments here and there, but like for the most part, no, it was pretty wonderful. Yeah. Well, last but not least, Picard. That's so wonderful. So you're not loving how it how the stories turn? Tell me what is what's putting you off about this. So you know when we talk, I think the last did we was the last time we talked about the first episode, the pilot. I can't remember. Maybe. Um. So you know. I re- Wait, last last time we had a little brief mini
0: discussion about it. So,
1: so the pilot, as 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 maybe you'll recall, I thought was great, but also like too much going on in like 45, 50 minutes. There's right? a lot
0: of like, whoa, slow down, Game of Thrones season seven. Yeah, comes.
1: now they've slowed down, and and it's slow. It, like now, this feels like now this feels like the Mandalorian to me, well, where it's I- like slow discussions of things that may or may not be relevant to some broader thing that might be happening, and. The audience knows all of this stuff that the characters don't. And so it's like. Yeah, you don't need the exposition. Yeah. Well, so maybe there's
0: some milk in it. I thought that. Soji's
1: on the artifact? What? I know. You're like, all right. I, I, haven't, I haven't known that since, oh, I don't know, the end of the pilot.
0: But isn't this. Couldn't you defend this by saying, look, they're trying to avoid that sense of Game of Thrones Season 7 rushing. precisely because people know what's afoot, there's a danger that it might just rush through all the plot points, and the next thing you know, everyone's together and we get the resolution. They're trying to make sure that it feels like there's a sense that they actually went on a journey, because that's sort of the essence of a a good Star Trek show, is you're, you're out there kind of going from adventure to adventure. And I think they very purposely... Have a kind of a classic original Star Trek kind of, uh, hey, let's put on some funky costumes in this episode yeah. and go into an environment where you've got yeah, it's, a Yeah, it's
1: more original Star Trek than any of the subsequent right. shows. It's so like
0: the, the sword fight. Yeah. Like, let's, get, let's let Picard do a little sword fighting. That's very kind of a little bit of a call out to original Star Trek. All
1: we did is a red shirt.
0: Right, exactly. They are they are lacking that. They've but then especially when they put on the goofy outfit uh, to go down into the, like the the nightclub, free cloud stay, or yeah, whatever for, it is, free cloud. I thought there was a lot of cool uh, sort of tech visioning of the future and what you know stuff they often don't do enough of in the often all too sort of sanitized world of, of Star Trek shows. Yeah. Um, I thought they did a better job of showing like here's some more dirt bags and here's here's sort of a, a way that advertising in the future will in fact be so in your face. And, so
1: I, I thought I thought the last. Last episode, right, with Seven, I thought that was good. I mean, I thought, yeah. like, you know, her character and, like, her need for revenge after what happened to Ichab. Yeah, that
0: was pretty cool. I was not liking it until I, until I realized, in fact, that she wasn't playing it she, straight.
1: Right. Um, I don't know. It just feels, uh, it's just, now it feels like it's dragging to me.
0: Okay. Well, I, I don't feel the same way. Um, I don't mind it taking its time. I'm more, <laughs> I'm more worried about the rushing factor.
1: Fair enough. I just you know I just wanted to get off my off my radar in time for for Westworld, Westworld because yeah. the trailers. Have you seen all the trailers now? Yeah,
0: yeah I have. It's looking good. It's gonna be fun. Um,
1: I mean, wow.
0: Yeah, I think action wise, Westworld's gonna be great. I hope plot wise, it's gonna have some originality to it. I'm a little worried that it yeah. might be kind of a paint by numbers. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, robots Ka- versus. Karen, and I have the humans. same
1: reaction. Like. Um, at the end of every Westworld episode, it's like, do you understand what just happened? No, yeah. do you? Yeah, I, I have a feeling it might not be so hard to follow this
0: time around. I don't but know, it, I just, but it might be more exciting.
1: I, you know, I, each season has had a different like plot contrivance that made things complicated, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm excited. We'll see. Um, yeah,
0: I, I like the right control droid, right control droid, <laughs> whatever they're gonna call him. That, that thing is that's gonna be pretty cool,
1: and disastrous. the Nazi world.
0: That's going to be intense. That's what I'm
1: saying. I like, I don't, this, I, I don't know. I feel like they're showing us lots of things, but not anything.
0: Let's hope so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think
1: that's it. Is it, though?
0: Let's just hope we're not talking more quarantine next week.
1: Seriously. Included quarantining me from my cold.
0: Yeah, I know. I should be nervous. I should have worn my mask, but I don't have one. Just I wash your hands. Get one. Wash your hands.
1: I will. How about, ooh, this podcast washes its, ha- washed its hands.
0: I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like this podcast just <laughs> came from
1: the restroom. <laughs>
0: That this, would actually be a pretty funny title, but probably not good for drawing in new listeners. True, All right, we'll figure something out. Actually, I
1: was actually walking in here. You, you've seen Mean Girls? Yeah. So I was thinking of I, coming to Austin next year. on Broadway. I, I, uh, I was thinking year? of a line where, where unfortunately, the good line cannot be said on our podcast, <laughs> but the the prompt is, <coughs> I'm sick.
0: <laughs> you can say it. I won't say it. No, no,
1: the the response to that is not is not is not made not, for not for our audience. not for our audience. Fair enough. All right. He's at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast. Stay safe out there.
0: Adios. Ah, Well, I'm going to go here and talk about pandemic preparedness or lack thereof. What are you going to do?
1: I'm going to go get some lunch and get a haircut.
0: Sounds good. All right. Bye.